The long 19th century marked significant watershed events in Philippine history. It was during this period when the Philippines opened to the burgeoning global trade, and significant reforms catalyzed social, economic, and political tremors that would usher a fertile ground for profound changes. How do we begin to understand this period in our history? Join us in the fourth episode of Primary Sources and You, and let us look at the observations of a traveler, John Foreman, and his work, The Philippine Islands. This is podcast, Conversations in Philippine History, Politics, and Society. Magandang araw, ako si Lee, at namimiss ko nang mag-travel. <laughs> ako rin, at ako si Aaron. At ako si Vic, tama nakakamiss mag-travel, ano? pero bakit natin namiss bigla ang pag travel, pagpunta kung saan-saan. Kasi yung primary source na titignan natin ngayon ay isang account ng isang British traveler na pumunta sa Pilipinas noong 19th century. Yes, so si John Foreman ay isang British agent ng isang business firm noong 19th century at nagkaroon siya ng pagkakataon na mag-travel sa iba't ibang lugar sa Pilipinas. So interesting yung mga ganitong klase ng account kasi ba diba, hindi siya galing sa mga Espanyol o sa mga Pilipino. Pero, you know, isang seeming outsider siya uh, within this colonial setup na, na nag-o-observe ng events. So, pwedeng may level of distance and objectivity, masasabi natin, kasi nga hindi Espanyol, hindi Filipino, outsider. Pero, syempre kapag internal criticism, kailangan pa rin natin i-problematize yung perspective niya kasi European pa rin naman siya, puti pa rin siya. Tsaka pwede natin ding tignan yung sarili niyang biases against Filipino natives or even against Spaniards kasi kalaban nila yan nung panahon na yan. So tama, no? yung mga ganitong travel narratives, interesting rin talaga siya bilang isang primary source. At itong ang account ni Foreman, uh, titingnan natin yung observations niya about sa context ng Pilipinas na kanyang tinatnan nung pahuling bahagi ng 19th century or ng 1800s. So ano na nga ba ang nangyayari noon sa mga community na kinolonize ng mga Kastila or ng mga Espanyol at ano na ang ganap sa Spanish Empire in relation to other global empires, particular na sa British Empire? na may kita natin from the eyes of uh, British visiting Manila and some other Philippine provinces. Yes, at actually yung account ni Foreman very expansive kasi nag-research rin siya using other sources to try to understand uh, yung Pilipinas. Pwedeng siguro towards business and economic interests nga kasi ng Britain or pwedeng pursuit of knowledge pero nonetheless, he had a long account not just uh, of his observations but also his appraisals with regard to the history of the Philippines up to the point ng Spanish colonial rule noong 19th century. At gaya ng nabanggit kanina, itong 19th century is a long century. In fact, some scholars call it really the long century kasi ang daming nangyari nitong 19th century sa Pilipinas at sa buong mundo. Like sa context ng Pilipinas in particular, alam natin na itong century na ito ang background ng Philippine Revolution at ang buhay ng maraming known figures sa Philippine history like Rizal, Bonifacio, among others. So ano nga ba ang nangyari sa Pilipinas dito sa 19th century? And also, sa konteksto ng daigdig, British historian Eric Hobsbawm, isa sa mga unang nag-refer sa 19th century bilang long century, 
At particular na kasi dalawang importanteng revolusyon yung nangyari during this time. The French Revolution and the subsequent Industrial Revolution. But of course, uh, some people may say na yung French Revolution nangyari siya 1789. So technically 18th century. But, but nevertheless, its effects were actually mostly felt in the succeeding century. So in the Philippines, siguro maganda rin na itay back natin sa discussion natin nung last episode na tungkol naman sa galleon trade. So... Ano ba yung naging significant event na nangyari noong 19th century na nagbunsod ng pagtatapos ng galleon trade noong 1815? So, largely owing to the Mexican Revolution against their Spanish colonizers na nagsimula noong 1810. Isa yan sa mga pangunahing dahilan kung bakit finally isinara itong 200-year-old na trade na to, na enterprise na to. So, syempre, nung lumayan na yung Mexico, Kung nasaan ang Acapulco, wala na yung isang end ng galleon trade. And some historians would actually say that it also made the Philippines commercially irrelevant. Kasi yun yung ano natin eh, yun yung main reason of commercial existence natin eh, yung pagiging entry post sa pagitan ng China at ng Acapulco. So ano ngayon yung naging epekto nito? Yes, exactly. No? So... Nung, diba, sabi nga natin, 250 years tatagal yung, yung uh, galleon trade mula nung mahanap yung tornabiyahe nung 1565 hanggang 1815. So, syempre, nung nawala yun, ano yung, ano yung magiging epekto niya? So, isa sa major events nga na nangyari sa Pilipinas noong 19th century ay yung opening ng Manila to world trade. no So, according to the observations of John Foreman, The Philippine Islands were but little known in the foreign markets and commercial centers of Europe before the middle of the 19th century. Notwithstanding the special trading concessions granted to one foreigner and another from the beginning of the last century, it was not until the port of Manila was unrestrictedly opened to resident foreign merchants in 1834 that a regular export trade with the whole mercantile world gradually came into existence. It was the capital brought originally to the Philippines through foreign channels which developed the modern commerce of the colony. And much of the present wealth of the inhabitants engaged in trade and agriculture is indirectly due to foreign enterprise. Negros Island was entirely opened up by foreign capital. In Manila, the fathers of many of the half-castes and pure natives who at this day figure as men of position and standing commenced their careers as messengers, warehouse keepers, clerks, etc. of the foreign houses. Diba? So what made these events possible, yung supposedly opening na yun ng Manila in 1834 and other provinces in the succeeding decades uh, to world trade? No? So maybe, magandang jump of point uh, na natin within global history. Ang dami talagang nangyari ng 19th century and even during the latter parts of the 18th century, na magkakaroon syempre ng malaking effect sa Pilipinas. So, isa dyan, yung continuing Game of Thrones sa Europe ng time na yon na nag-result sa pagpapalit ng monarchy sa Spain from the Habsburgs to the Bourbons. Na, so, nung naganap yung Wars of Spanish Successions, mananalo yung mga Bourbons in, in claiming the throne in Spain. So, nung nagkaroon ng bagong rules sa Spain mismo, Isa sa mga napag-usapan is yung management ng colonies and yung trade between these empires. No? So, kasi syempre yung ibang mga European powers by the 1700s, nagsisimula na rin lumakas yung mga British, yung mga Dutch, and so on. No? So, yung tinawag na 
Bourbon reforms o reformas borbonicas noong 1700s, syempre magkakaroon siya ng effect sa atin kasi we are under the Spanish Empire. So upon the reverberations ng reforms sa Pilipinas, marami ring mga colonial policies ang nagbago in the 18th century leading to and until the 19th century. Isa dyan, uh, naganap during the rule of Governor General Jose de Basco y Vargas. So, dumating siya sa Pilipinas noong 1770s at ito rin yung context na ang dami ng rival ng Spain sa Europe at mundo. So, kailangan nila mag-keep up basically. No? So, si Basco, isa sa naisip niyang talagang gawin is to diversify yung ekonomiya ng Pilipinas by capitalizing on agriculture and having cash crops. Yes, at si Basco, isa sa mga ginawa niya ay ang pagtatag or pag-establish noong 1785 ng Real Compañía de Filipinas or Royal Philippine Company na I think ay patterned after the British East India Companies. So, the purpose of this company was to finance the agricultural development at magsimula ng direct trade with Spain. But some historians would actually say that Basco's Uh, reason for establishing the royal company and uh, stimulating trade wasn't to create a liberal tradition. But ano lang, gusto niya lang natanggalin yung sitwado. Gusto niya lang na maging independent yung Pilipinas bilang kolonya mula sa Mexico. And I think this was, you know, parang what a foresight, di ba? Considering na in a few decades time ay mangyayari yung Mexican Revolution. Nevertheless, Basco was met with, you know, profound silence kasi may mga tao at mahalagang um, players sa kolonya na talagang naikinabang doon sa galleon trade. But the idea of um, of this um, Royal Philippine Company ay pataasin ang production ng crops to yield surplus for export. Uh, so, anong ginawa nitong uh, Royal Company? Nagbigay sila ng mga incentives for farmers, uh, nagbigay sila ng incentive para sa mga natives na paghanap uh, ng paraan para i-maximize yung yield ng mga pananim. And Basco y Vargas was also the man behind the Tobacco Monopoly. Alright? And the Tobacco Monopoly was actually a very successful enterprise. Kasi just a few years after, uh, the Philippines for the first time would um, generate revenue Correct. para magbayad sa Espanya. Diba? So parang lagi tayong deficit, pero because of the successful Tobacco Monopoly, may nangyari. But then again, Basco's um, influence wouldn't be felt until much, much later. Pero bakit niya gustong pataasin ang production ng mga crops? Ito ay dahil na rin sa Industrial Revolution na nagisimula ng mangyari sa Europa. So, nagabago yung landscape ng production at manufacturing at kailangan ng raw materials. So, naisip niya na ito yung magandang entry point ng Pilipinas sa mga nangyayari sa pandaigdigang merkado at pandaigdigang ekonomiya. So, ang mangyayari, magiging mahalaga ang lupa na eventually, Siyempre, magkakaroon ng malaking epekto rin sa social relations. At yun nga, mahalagang i-develop yung lupa kasi nga agriculture yung magiging entry point ng Pilipinas sa world trade. Magiging exporter yung Pilipinas. At magre-reorient yung ekonomiya to a more cash crop economy instead of being a more of a subsistence economy or just producing harvest for consumption ng Pilipinas. At makikita natin yung paglakas ng trading between different countries at napakalagang punto nito sa kasaysayan ng Pilipinas. Tama. So, 
ang problema ng Pilipinas pagdating dito sa sa diversification ng ekonomiya, lalo pa siyang magiging salient noon ngang mag-end yung Galleon Trade ng 1815 kasi wala na talaga yung isang malaking pinagkakaabalahan ng mga Espanyol sa Pilipinas at yung supposedly malaking source ng revenue kahit na in the last years of, of the Galleon Trade actually losing enterprise na siya. So sa pagpasok ng 19th century, problema ng colonial government sa Pilipinas, paano papatakbuhin yung trade? Tapos katulad nga nung sinabi ni Vec kanina, yung, yung efforts ni Basco in the early decades ng, ng Royal Philippine Company, in the early years, was met with silence na hindi-hindi talaga siya masyadong nakakuha ng, ng support. Tapos, unfortunately, magsasara eventually yung Royal Philippine Company. Tapos si John Foreman, bilang medyo adept din siya sa business, meron siyang appraisal kung bakit nagsara yung Royal Philippine Company. The causes of its decline are not difficult to trace. Established as it was on a semi-official basis, all kinds of intrigues were resorted to. All manner of favoritism was besought to secure appointments, more or less lucrative in the great company. Influential and capacity prevailed over knowledge and ability. And the men, entrusted with the direction of the company's operations, proved themselves inexperienced and quite unfit to cope with unshackled competition from the outer world. Their very exclusiveness was an irresistible temptation to contrabandists. Manila private merchants, viewing with displeasure monopoly in any form, lost no opportunity of putting obstacles in the way of the company. Again, the willing concurrence of native laborers in an enterprise of magnitude was as impossible to secure then as it is now. The native had a high time at the expense of the company, reveling in the enjoyment of cash advances, for which some gave little, others nothing. Success could only have been achieved by forced labor, and this right was not included in the charter. So interesting talaga tong passage na to from John Foreman kasi dito may kita mo yung mga views niya against both the Spaniards and the Filipinos ano in a way yung disdain niya sa ineptitude ng management ng Real Compañía at uh, so at dahil nga dito sa mga circumstances na wala yung Real Compañía officially noong 1834 so dito na mapapayagan yung pagpasok ng iba't ibang merchants from any nationality. Yes, yeah, so nagsimula yung yung pagpasok na yun ng foreign merchants noong 1834 initially sa Manila. Tapos eventually, lalago yung trade at lalong mabubuhay yung Manila sa cosmopolitan city. Tapos later on, Cebu and Iloilo would also be open to to world trade. At kaya rin naman magbubukas ang mga ports sa ilang mga probinsyang ito. Kasi nandito sa mga probinsya yung mga agricultural plantation. So nasa Visayas ang mga sugar plantation, halimbawa. So imbis nga naman na ibiyahe mo pa itong mga bulky products na to papunta sa mga ports sa Manila, idiretso mo na palabas ng bansa by building ports in these peripheries. Ano. Also, kailangan ding mabanggit, I think at this point, na yung mga main actors na nag-stimulate ng trade uh, sa mga probinsya were actually non-Hispanic foreign traders like the British and the Americans and of course, facilitated by the Chinese middlemen. Kaya nga, in 1879, Carlos Recur would actually say that From the commercial point of view, the Philippines is an Anglo-Chinese colony with a Spanish flag. 
Yes, no. So, parang yan yung isang naging description na sa Pilipinas nung 19th century, eh, 'di ba? Na na yes, politically we were a Spanish colony, pero economically we were held captive by uh, the British and to an extent the Chinese, 'di ba? So napaka-complex nung nung ganung dynamic kasi so saan nanggagaling yung yung colonial order talaga 'di ba yun, yun yung mga complications nung nung ganung klasing reality so so at the risk of simplifying this very complex period in our history syempre malaki yung naging impact nung ganitong economic change pagdating sa pamamahala at pamumuhay dito sa Pilipinas so isa syempre sa kailangan mong ayusin diyan Uh, kapag nagkakaroon ng mga ganyang profound changes, syempre yung governance, no? At dahil nagkakaroon ng, ng bureaucratization in a way, in the Weberian sense ng, ng modernization, uh, kailangan mo rin talaga ng, halimbawa, literate population para makasabay sa nagbabagong economic system. Kasi yung isa sa, sa mangyayari, dahil nagiging malakas yung trade, halimbawa, from the provinces to the cities, halimbawa, Uh, madaming mga development projects. Halimbawa, yung paggawa ng mga kalsada. Tapos, syempre, dahil nagiging trans- dumadami yung transactions, kailangan mo ng accountants, for example. Tapos, dun sa mga constructions, kailangan mo ng engineers, kailangan mo ng architects. So, kailangan ng, ng madaming professionals para mapatakbo yung ganong klaseng ekonomiya. So, isa sa, sa mahalagang magiging epekto rin ito, syempre, yung pangangailangan na paunlarin mo rin yung education system para maging literate yung, yung mga tao kasi yung, yung trade at yung economy, yun yung dinidemand sa population. So, hindi na pwedeng puro dasal na lang yung tinuturo sa mga schools. Yes, hindi na pwedeng puro dasal at, at you know, hihintayin mong pumalaot yung galyon. Hindi na ganun kasi yung, yung ekonomiya ay... May mga pangangailangan na. Oo, nangyayari na siya on the everyday kasi may may traders ka sa city, ganyan. No? So, so may mga kumpanya na naitatatag sa mga city, so nagiging commercial center siya. So, sa pang-araw-araw na And buhay mo, clerks, hindi mo na matatakasan. And bookkeepers. Oo. Oh. Yes, yeah. so yung education, kailangan niyang sumabay. No? So, magkakaroon ng, ng developments pagdating sa sa education system. At actually, nagkakaroon ng, nagkakaroon ng malaking epekto yung yung education no actually may may interesting passage si si Foreman pagdating dun sa impact ng ng development ng education ng 19th century ito yung sabi niya education this limited divided the people into two separate castes as distinct as the ancient roman citizen and the plebeian residing chiefly in the ports open to foreign trade the intellectuals acquired wealth possess rich estates and fine houses artistically adorned. Blessed with all the comforts which money could procure and the refinement resulting from education, they freely associated and intermarried with the Spaniards, whose easy grace and dignified manners they gradually acquired and retained to a greater extent to the present day. The other caste, the illiterates, were dependents of the intellectuals. Without mental training, With a few wants and little expenses, they were as contented in their spheres as the upper class were in theirs. Like their masters, they had their hopes, but they never knew what misery was. As one understands it in Europe and in this felicitous, ambitionless condition, they never urgently demanded education, even for their children. Oh, the diba? so, again, may kita mo na naman dito yung... 
ano ba, paano ba sabihin? Yung judgment ni ni Foreman dun sa... sa o parang yung, sorry naman, Judge Foreman, ha? Oo, Nakakahiya na, naman sa'yo, ano? Nakakahiya naman yung, yung term, diba? Yung, yung ambition, less condition. Na parang yung, ganun yung phrasing niya dun sa, sa situation. Pero, mm-hmm. yung gusto Grabe kong... Grabe no, the white privilege diba? jump out. Uh-oh. So, yung gusto kong take away dun sa, sa point niya na yun, uh, as much as there was, you know, education, na, educational development na nangyayari sa, sa Pilipinas during that time, kasi ngayon yung demand ng ekonomiya, nagki-create din talaga yung ganitong economic changes ng social tensions kasi nagkakaroon ng ng 'di ba nagiging malinaw yung social stratification kung sino may access to this trade, sino may access to begin with dun sa education and so on. So dun sa mga urban centers, uh, dahil nga din demand yung mas literate population, dun din magkakaroon ng maraming schools, di ba? Halimbawa, yung, yung Ateneo, di ba? Mga, dun, dun matatatag yung mga schools na to. Uh, yung maletran, ganyan, no? So, uh, actually, may royal decree noong 1860s that even mandated free uh, primary education. Kasi yung idea, hindi na pwedeng mag, magkaroon ng adult na... na na mamamayan sa Manila or sa Pilipinas in general na hindi marunong magbasa, magsulat at magkwenta. So, at least yung primary education minandate na maging free. Gusto ko lang ding i-point out ano, ito ano, kasi sabi ni ni Foreman, uh, parang kinompare niya sa two caste system. But other foreign um, observers would actually note na kung ikukumpara mo sa ibang quote-unquote, oriental countries like India, very egalitarian. Exactly. Yung, yung Philippine society ng 19th century, like yung lines of demarcation at yung separation between rank and classes was uh, were, were more or less, ano, parang hindi siya ganun kamarkado at mm. hindi siya ganun ka-rigid kumpara sa India halimbawa. Like sabi nila, dito makakita ka ng uh, natives na uh, kumakain at nakikipag-socialize kasama ng mga um, purong mm. Espanyol. So, at this point, talaga may kita yung cosmopolitan character ng Maynila. Yeah, di ba? So, kaya, yun yung isang mahalagang point. Kaya rin, importante na pag nagbabasa tayo ng mga ganitong klase ng primary source, we need to really read it alongside other similar primary sources, di ba? Kasi yung, yung, we cannot take these observations as, you know, true in itself. Kasi, as we mentioned uh, time and again, uh, it is a perspective. Ito yung observation nitong, nitong taong ito. Pero syempre, along with these changes, makikita rin natin yung magbabagong karakter ng ugnayan na nakaugat sa lupa. Particular yung ugnayan ng mga yumayaman at yung mga patuloy na naghihirap. So yung mga magsasaka at saka yung mga may hawak ng lupa. Dito lalabas yung mga inquilino. At itong mga inquilino, these are the people who hold leases on agricultural lands. And ang kailangan lang nilang gawin ay magbayad ng renta sa landowner. So usually yung landowners ay mga friar orders. At uh, to pay rent, they have to work the land. right? They have to farm, they have to harvest. But you know, as holders of the lease, they don't want to do it themselves. Masyadong malaki yung hawak nilang lupa para sila lang yung magtanim doon. So what they have to do is they need to work a lease with tenant sharecroppers or yung mga tinatawag nating mga kasama. So lumalabas na itong mga inquilino ay mga middlemen lang din talaga. Kasi yung mga kasama, they get a portion of the harvest. While yung mga inquilino na nagpaparenta ng lupa, they get the rest. So makikita natin, yayaman itong mga inquilino. Particularly sa Central Luzon, marami dito sa mga inquilino ay mga Chinese mestizos. Ito yung mga 
descendants ng mga Chinese na nag-intermarry with the principalia class. At uh, itong mga ito, particular sa Central Luzon, uh, sila yung mga magiging mga inquilino. Makikita natin kung ano yung impact nito kasi their work enabled them to amass wealth enough to send their sons to schools not just in the Philippines but abroad. So, pinakamagandang example ng inquilino family ay yung pamilya ni Rizal. Kasi si Rizal was only able to go abroad because they have enough wealth from being inquilinos. Yeah, ba diba? So, may kita mo dyan yung epekto nung, nung changes sa economic system na nagkaroon ng epekto sa political system at sa sa pamumuhay ng mga tao na hindi lang siya actually confined din talaga doon sa Manila San Urban Center. Pero kahit doon sa ibang mga lugar sa sa Pilipinas, maramdaman na rin natin yun. Katulad ng, ng pamilya ni Rizal na taga Laguna, di ba? Alright. So, ganun nila minobilize yung native labor para, uh, hmm. para imit yung demands ng cash crop economy na sinimulan nila nung mga panahon na to. So, the inquilino, the inquilino class actually, ang sinasabi dyan ay they did the least amount of work, pero sila talaga yung pinakakumita sa ganitong klaseng setup. Ano. Pero aside from that, uh, mahalaga rin ma-point out doon sa bureaucratization, yung importance ng monitoring. So, syempre, di ba, um, umuunlad ang, ang ekonomiya. People from the provinces started migrating to Manila uh, to look for economic opportunities at pati na rin para mag-aral. So, naging mahalaga yung monitoring. Kaya, di ba, during this century, lalabas din, particular na noong 1840s, yung decree ni Narciso Claveria. At yung decree na yun ay tinatawag natin na Catalogo de Apigidos para ma-standardize yung pagkapangalan or names ng mga tao. So, yung mga apigido ng marami sa atin ngayon, galing dyan. And aside from that, even yung movement ng mga tao, mababantayan nila. Kasi with that, uh, hindi ka pwedeng basta magpalit ng pangalan. So, dati kasi walang ganito. Mm. Very antisystematic ang census uh, sa Pilipinas. So, kumbaga, mas sinistematize niya. Mas binigyan niya ng, uh, ng permanenting pangalan yung mga tao. So, mas matitrace nga naman kung saan-saan sila pumunta. And later on, in this century, magkakaroon pa rin ng Cedula personal. So, ito yung magiging parang identification card talaga. Kung saan nakasulat yung pangalan at yung lugar, kung saan ka dapat nagbabayad ng tax. Actually, during this time, meron ding passport system. Yeah. Yung kapag magta-travel ka, kahit within the Philippines lang, kailangan mo ng passport. Mm-hmm. At ito ay sobrang hassle to, especially for traders. Diyan mo makikita talaga yung ano eh, yung, yung pagbabago ng social life ng mga tao in relation to to the economic system na, na umuunlad, na, na, na nagbabago. Kasi nga pati yung movement ng tao at pati syempre yung, yung identity. Kasi yung halimbawa yung sinasabi ni Ve kanina na nakatalogo de apelyedos na bunsod nung Claveria Decree nung 1840s. Initially, yung reading ng ibang historian doon, uh, sinasabi nila na marker daw ng Christianization ng mga Pilipino yung pagkakaroon ng mga apelido ng mga Espanyol. Pero yung isang reading halimbawa ni, ng isang historian si Francis Gialogo, nung tinignan niya yung Claveria Decree, yung kanyang conclusion ay it's actually towards uh, a more efficient system ng ng bureaucracy. Kasi bago yung 1840s, yung isang tao sa Pilipinas, ang Indio halimbawa, pwede siyang magpalit ng pangalan. At ang hirap nun halimbawa kasi kung halimbawa may may kaso, may krimen, tapos nahuli yung isang individual, pwede siyang completely ma-exonerate 
mula dun sa, sa kaso. Kapag kinlame niya na hindi ako yan kasi yung pangalan ko ganito. Pa- paano mo i-recon yung, yung identity kung, kung moving target yung pangalan? So, dahil nagiging complex yung buhay ng mga tao with the urban centers na nade-develop because of the world trade na, na nakikita sa Pilipinas din, kailangan mong ayusin yun. Kasi pag nag, nagpopopulate yung mga tao sa isang lugar, ang daming risks din nun eh. Kasi pwedeng tumaas yung, yung kaso ng sakit. Kasi nag-iipon yung mga tao. Or yun nga, pwedeng tumaas yung crime. So, ganun yung, yung idea. Kaya yun yung sa mga telenovela, di ba? Yung madalas na pupunta sa Maynila para makipagsapalara. Hindi naman yun completely new. Na parang simula pa lang noong 19th century, nakikita na yun na nadadagsa yung mga tao sa urban centers kasi nandun yung idea na nandun yung opportunity. Mahalaga rin, bukod dun sa sinabi ni Vec kanina na na-decree pagdating sa pangalan, pagsistandardize ng pangalan, tapos yung passport and yung sedula, no? 1860s rin, halimbawa, matatatag yung Guardia Civil, tapos dun din mapapatayo yung isang large-scale prison complex, yung Bilibid, no, na in a way reflection nung, nung pangangailangan dahil sa nagbabagong landscape ng, ng crime and order sa mga, mga urban centers gaya ng, ng Maynila. Actually, kaunti pa lang itong mga nabanggit natin eh, about the 19th century and how complex it is actually. But our discussion reveals clues or siguro contextualizes what we will discuss further or at least yung mga masikat na moments in Philippine history mauunawaan na natin. So noong ipinanganak si Nao Serizal noong 1860s, si Rizal 1861, si Bonifacio 1863 habang lumalaki sila, mas nagiging totoo rin yung mga pagbabago na ito sa lipunan at sa ekonomiya ng Pilipinas. Kaya rin pagating ng mature age sila in their 20s sila rin yung generation na mas makakakita nung impact nung changes. Yeah, exactly. Minsan, siguro taken for granted natin yung ganong idea ng, na napakahalaga nung ganong klaseng contextualization na, na kailangan maunawaan natin na, na yung revolution na limbawa, yung propaganda movements in Rizal, in Bonifacio, hindi sila nag-exist out of nowhere. Diba? Merong kontekstong nag, naging daan kung bakit nutong century na to nangyari, di ba? Pero this is not saying naman na, na walang ganitong klasing movements uh, before, di ba? Pero yung isa kasing nangyari nga noong 19th century because of these economic changes uh, at pagbabago sa political system na nadala nitong mga ganitong reforms, uh, yung isa sa nangyari kasi noong 19th century, na-integrate yung, yung Pilipinas talaga. Mas, na, mas na-integrate, di ba? Kasi mas naging interdependent yung mga provinces because of uh, the cash crop economy, tapos yung movement ng mga tao, kailangan mo ng bantayan. So, lalabas din, aside sa pagpasok ng mga iba pang mga ideas sa Pilipinas, lalabas din talaga yung mas interconnected, mas mas national in a way na consciousness ng mga tao. Kaya nung, nung lumabas yung mga movements uh, for change nung 19th century, ganun na yung articulations niya. Hindi na lang siya for one province, hindi na lang siya for one group of people, pero pang lahat na. Kasi nga, the economy and, and, and the other changes of, of this period uh, allowed them to think in such a way na, na magkakaugnay yung, yung nangyayari sa, sa Pilipinas. Kasi yung, yung nangyayari sa probinsya ay may epekto sa, sa syudad and vice versa. Diba? So, so ganun yung, yung isa. So, syempre, pwede pa natin ipagpatuloy yung discussion na yan on, on the next episode when we tackle naman 
yung 19th century by focusing this time sa works nga nung mga tinaguri ang ilustrado no na na uh, maglulunsad ng kanilang propaganda movement no so kung ito yung mga generation na na maglulunsad nung nung panawagan para sa pagbabago di ba uh, ano pa ba yung mga ibang Uh, problema na makikita nila na kailangan ng pagbabago. Yun yung titignan natin sa sa next episode. At maganda itong mga next episodes natin. No? Kasi siguro ito yung mas magiging relatable in, in such a way na yung mga listeners natin, for sure familiar kayo dito sa mga taong ito. Diba? Kasi ito lagi yung topic sa klase or laging topic sa mga pelikula. It's nice to know them, reacquaint ourselves to them using primary sources. So abangan natin yan sa susunod nating kwentuhan on the next episode. Ipagpatuloy natin ang usapan sa social media. So i-follow nyo kami sa Twitter at sa Instagram at ilike nyo din ang aming Facebook page. So from there, you can drop your comments and give us your feedback. You can also visit our website for more content and resources. So that's podcast.org. So muli, maraming maraming salamat sa pakikinig. Thank you for listening and have a good day.